Hey there, it's Jake. Before we jump in, I wanted to let you know that this episode of The Online Hustle is a bit of a time capsule. It's from a podcast I used to run between 2012 and 2016. You're going to hear some references to that show, uh, to businesses and content that may have changed or may not even exist anymore. Welcome to the Multimedia Marketing Show, listeners. I'm Jay Cowie, your host, and this is episode number nine. Okay, we are going back to web video in this episode. Today's guest is someone that I come across on YouTube. I think I come across one of his particular reviews for the iPad mini, which is an awesome device. And uh, if you don't have one, go out and get one. The guest today is Matthew Pierce, and he's got a channel on YouTube, Matt's Macintosh, which as the name implies, has a channel focused loosely around Apple, but also around tech in general. He puts together some cool reviews and some really eclectic, I guess you could call them uh, retro tech videos. And they're really cool. He's got, a, he's got a, a really big audience. His personality shines through on his channel and in his videos. And we discuss a, a whole range of things from shooting better quality video right through to how he's gone about monetizing it and some of the reasons for choosing the strategy that he has. I've got uh, Matthew Pierce from Matt's Macintosh on the line. Matt, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you today? Yeah, I'm fantastic. Now, Matt, this is, uh, as you'd be well aware, we like to to go into a little bit more detail and delve into the world of multimedia marketing. And I've come across your YouTube channel, I think maybe when I was uh, looking at product reviews for something like the iPad mini or something, mm-hmm. and uh, you've built an amazing following on YouTube. So I thought it'd be uh, beneficial to get you on the call today and discuss a little bit about this with our listeners. Yeah, yeah, sounds great. All right, Matt, how about for the listeners' benefit, if you give us a little bit of a rundown of your background uh, leading up to where you are today? Okay, sure. After school, I was actually I was in the military for a long time. So I, I served in the Air Force here in America, did a lot of different stuff in there. And then just through almost on a whim one day, I saw I was looking for reviews on YouTube. A lot of people do. I saw some of them out there and I thought, oh, this might be fun to do. So the next day, I, I went and bought a camera and kind of just because I was bored, made a couple of videos. And yeah, a couple of years later, next thing I know, it's doing really well and getting thousands and thousands of views. And it's my uh, main job now. So Matt's Macintosh, mm-hmm. explain to the listeners exactly what that channel is and what it's about. I, I When I, I tell people what it's about, I usually use the phrase tech-based entertainment. Because uh, there's a lot of channels on YouTube that I think are, are really great review channels. They get a lot of products in. They do a lot of reviews. I do some of that, but that's not really my niche. I do a lot of videos about technology history or interesting aspects of the uh, design of a product, maybe. Or just, and then sometimes I just do videos that are almost just for aesthetic reasons and and not even based on any kind of like factual thing at all. That's a a mixed gambit of things I'm doing there, which I think has really worked for me because it helps my stuff stand out from the usual just tech review crowd. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd certainly know from my perspective, it is very entertaining. And I, I guess that's a result of, of how you're putting together these videos. But it's it also shows a lot about your personality, some of the some of the things you got up there, a lot of uh, retro videos with with retro tech gear. And I think that's that's really interesting. And it's obviously working for you. Yeah, definitely. And that's, I think, is super helpful when you're Doing any kind of thing online, you're trying to get into one of those more crowded marketplaces, starting with that kind of niche kind of thing. For example, mine, like retro tech is really what made me take off initially. And then I was able to find success in other types of videos as well once I had that baseline of success with that one category. Yeah, cool. All right. To give our listeners a little bit of perspective, what sort of numbers are we talking here in terms of subscribers, views? 
Sure. So my main channel, and that's Macintosh. I'm over 60,000 subscribers, some, somewhere in there, below 70, over 60, a little over uh, 10 million total views for my different content. And monthly views across the board on my, I got a couple of YouTube channels, my Vimeo channel. We're right under 500,000 is what I average with the vast majority of those coming from the Matt's Macintosh channel. Yeah, great. So those numbers, obviously nothing to really sneeze at. They're incredible numbers. Yeah, definitely. I'm definitely, I've been fortunate that a lot of people have enjoyed my stuff and like the same kind of thing I do. So it's caught on. All right. Let's go into a little bit right now. How do you go about, is this your full-time job or are you doing this on the side or are you making money from it? Uh, yeah, I'm definitely making money from it. I would say this is my primary job, my primary income source. I do other stuff as well. I'm a full-time student right now going to film school, which another thing I wouldn't have done that without the success I found on YouTube. That's what sent me on that course. And then I do a lot of freelance camera work, cinematography stuff for short films, music videos, stuff like that, and then do assistant camera work on some bigger productions. So all somewhere in the video field, but definitely from the online revenue is where I'm getting most of my money. Yeah, cool. And is this sort of this filming, obviously, what you enjoy? Yeah, definitely. This is it's amazing the the system that's in place now that that wasn't there 20 years ago. Someone who enjoyed making videos, I would I would have never have been where I am now, living in Hollywood and doing this sort of stuff without the the ability that the the internet and YouTube and these kinds of things have given me. And yeah, it's really great. Yeah, cool. All right, let's let's have a look a, a little bit. Let's go behind the scenes a little bit on um, mm -hmm. Matt's Macintosh. How long ago did you start the channel? It was late 2009 is when I first started making videos. I would say I didn't really start committing to it uh, a little with a huge amount of effort until sometime in 2010. So that's when I got started. So a few years now. Yeah, cool. And was that roughly 2010, roughly the time where you just, I guess, the aha moment where you realized that, yeah, hey, this is this has got some legs, this thing? And Yeah, I think it's funny because I can, I, I don't remember when I got 25,000 subscribers, but I remember when I got 100 subscribers and I was like, wow, that's, I thought that was amazing. It's like, wow, 100 people want to see these videos that I'm doing basically for my own enjoyment and as a kind of a hobby because I'm bored. So those first milestones were definitely memorable for me because I think, once you get, say, a thousand subscribers and you see it growing, you're like, if I keep doing this, there's no reason I can't get to 25,000 subscribers or 50,000. It's just a matter of time at that point. All right, let's 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 continue going through this. So how many videos do you have on this channel? Ooh, I know it's over 200. I'm probably around like 215, maybe some, somewhere around there. So definitely, and actually my, my output is a lot less than some of my peers who are in the same kind of tech space. Because my, my thoughts have always been like, I, I never want to make a video just to make a video. Like I never want to be like, oh, I haven't put up content in four days. I should do something. I usually do it around the idea and wait until I have a really a good idea of something I think is really going to stand out and people are going to enjoy and then go ahead and make the video. So, Yeah, that's that's a very good point. And it's certainly, there's really, there's two chains of thought. One's consistent production. Mm -hmm. And the other one is, as you say, putting out extraordinary content. Mm -hmm. And so you've obviously gone, gone down that path. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's delve into a little bit about how you put together these videos. Sure. My, I get video ideas all the time. I have a little notebook that I, sometimes I'll jot stuff down in. And some of them pan out, some of them don't. And then some of them are driven by other outside factors. I'll, I, a lot of my videos are actually in response to viewer questions. I do a lot of tutorial videos and someone will send me a question and say, Hey, I'm a, I'm a 15 year old filmmaker and I'm trying to do some kind of special effect in iMovie. How can I do that? 
And I'll think, oh, you know what? That's a pretty good idea. Maybe I can do that some kind of way and help this guy out. And I'll make a video of that. And those have actually become some of my more popular videos. So there's that way. And then there's my videos that I, I guess almost are unexpected or come from left field, but actually work really well. One of my videos that got picked up by a lot of blogs is on Gizmodo, The Verge, uh, a lot of the bigger tech blogs out there. Was I did a sketch of Iron Man on a, a 1984 Macintosh, like in the old Mac paint. And that really was just the Avengers movie had just come out and I was just messing around with my old Macintosh and just videoed me drawing on it. And then next thing I knew that took off. So it's a lot of different. You never know where inspiration is going to come. And especially in in the online world, you never know what's going to stick and what's going to get picked up and what's going to get traction. So. Yeah, cool. That particular video, listeners, is, is the featured video on the channel at the moment. So if you're looking at what we're talking about here, head across the channel and check that out. Okay. Now, you've obviously got a substantial amount of stats and everything on the in terms of the video analytics. Do you pay close attention to this sort of stuff? Yes. I, I definitely look at my analytics. And I think, you're, I think everyone does, even people who aren't uh, interested in making a career of stuff. People like to see what's popular and what's not in, in terms of their videos. But I certainly uh, look at my analytics and, and see what videos are getting traction and then more importantly, how they're getting traction. I think when you talk about YouTube, every the first thing everyone asks is subscriber numbers, how many people are following you, which is it's good. It's a good metric. But if you the majority of my views anyway do not come from subscribers, and I think that's probably true of most YouTubers, majority of views are coming through related videos in search. And that's something that you can you definitely wouldn't know unless you really delve into your analytics and look at them. Um, especially YouTube now with its new page, homepage format and everything. It's all about SEO, search engine optimization type stuff. And yeah, analytics are really key to understanding that and understanding what's working. Okay, cool. So let's maybe let's get some really actionable tips for, mm-hmm. for our listeners. Let's say, let's look at the top five things, the really obvious things that, that you found based on your own videos and your own analytics as to what are musts when, when someone's shooting video and optimizing for views on YouTube. Sure. And this, a lot of people ask, when they ask me this question, I usually give them the, the kind of happy answer. I'm like, oh, just make videos that you're happy with. And as long as you're having a good time. But since you use the word actionable, I'll, I'll give some more concrete <laughs> facts here. Understanding how views are driven on YouTube is really key. And what I just alluded to, it, it's not subscribers. It's the discovery is the key on YouTube, right? You shouldn't be looking for subscribers. You should be looking for eyes on your videos. And the way YouTube is built right now the 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 how the analytics or how their whole algorithm is working is based on one is total watch time so if your video is if you make a great video uh, or what you think is a great video but people are only watching the first 30 seconds of a five minute video it's not going to get a lot of traction in the search engines and the results so it's making a video that people watch from start to finish and sometimes that means cutting out the fluff from your videos not making these more in-depth kind of things if you look at my videos, my, my most popular ones are under three minutes, and which is maybe a little bit on the short side, but I think it's helpful because people watch the full video and then it helps your total watch time, which helps you in the search results. So that's one thing. That's my first one. The second is uh, thinking about not getting, like when I put up a video, I'm not thinking this video is a success if it gets 10,000 views in the first week. I think it, this video is a success if when the first couple months, I'm at 100,000 views, right? You want continued views on it. And that's definitely the key to making money on YouTube because the videos that I make the most money from are ones that I put up over a year ago, maybe even two years ago in some cases, because they continually get views. 
and continue to get traction. And because of that, YouTube sells the ad rates at, at higher rates and I get a higher cut of the money. So I think that's key too, is looking at the long range viability of the content you're putting up. And my third thing, and this might be my last one here, and I would say um, make every video your best video because you never know what's the first video someone's going to see of your content. So the key is for them seeing that one video that they happen to stumble across through whatever method, and they're so impressed with it that it drives them to look at your other stuff and to look at your other videos. And then that turns that one view into a viewer, someone who's going to come back for more and want to see more of your content. Yeah, that's great. They're really, they're brilliant tips. They are. And I think one thing that really stood out for me from that is Mm -hmm. you're talking about, it's not necessarily about the subscribers and that's, Something that's that's relatively new to me, but it makes a lot of sense. And one thing I've noticed with the videos of yours that I've watched mm-hmm. is that you don't have strong calls to action to subscribe. Why is that? Why don't you include these? And this this is actually completely against what YouTube calls the YouTube playbook. And what if you go to these YouTube functions, they always say is always end with a call to action, always do this kind of stuff. And that's just it's and that's certainly a method that works for people. I'm not gonna say that's a bad methodology. It's just never been my kind of thing. Same thing with the produ- the idea of producing consistent content no matter what. Obviously, that works for some people. That's just not the, the route that I took. And it's because I think, because I have found success not through subscribers, but through search engine results. So I'm not, I think adding calls to action on my end of the videos are just taken away from the video. It, people are cutting off before that anyway, a lot of times. That's another thing, great thing about YouTube analytics. You actually can get uh, watch time per video and see when people are dropping out of your video and when people are staying in. And there's always a cliff at the end if you have a really long kind of call to action at the end. So I just decided to avoid that in general. And it's obviously worked for me. And when you and if you look at my video numbers, some of my more popular iMovie tutorials, for example, they're at 300, 400,000 views per video. And that's despite the fact I only have 60,000 subscribers. So once again, I really think it's not the subscribers, it's the views that you're really searching for. Yep. And you're, as you say, from those tips you just gave us, optimizing or really creating extraordinary content. What about little things like like titles and tagging, tagging in the description? Do you optimize these or do a lot of put a lot of effort into optimizing these or absolutely T- tags are key. Tags are tags that's part of the algorithm that, that YouTube is running to figure out what related views to stick next to a video and things like that. So I always I put thought into my tagging. Like some people just have a standard list that they copy and paste. But I think of, of, I try to think uh, per video, what's something unique I can put in here. For example, that Iron Man video, it was when Avengers the movie was out. So I put tags related to the Avengers movie with the video, like anything, because you never know when that video is going to pop up in a related video based on some kind of tag and when someone's going to bite on it. So I definitely think tagging is important. Titling is important because that, that's part of the, the system too. And video descriptions, I think, are important too. All those are playing into the the search system and and helping you get views. Yeah. Can you over-optimize these things, particularly with the tags? Can you add in too many tags? I I don't know the science behind it. I don't know if it's you're actually, at some point, you hit an overall negative because you put in too many general tags. I personally, my personal method is to put very specific tags. Like if I have a video and I've made it on my MacBook, I don't tag it with Mac Pro or iPad because it has nothing to do with that video. So it's Targeting targeted tags have worked for me. So, someone else might tell you something different, but that's certainly something that's worked for me is very precise, precise and on target uh, tagging. 
Yeah, that's great. That's really good. Okay, let's. Uh, you mentioned through that about making money. Mm-hmm. So, how, how do you then go about making money from the site? <laughs> What's great now and different from when I first started is that YouTube partnership is open to anyone now. So, if you make all original content and have no copyright anything, if you own all the rights to whatever you're producing, it's just a matter of clicking a button in your YouTube settings and then filling out the AdSense form and then you can modernize right off the bat, which is different. When I first started doing it, the partnership program with YouTube was something you had to get accepted into and it was much more difficult to get into. So that's what that's the good thing. The bad thing is that it's almost discouraging if you're first starting because now you can start modernizing when you're only getting 100 views per video and you are not going to make a lot of money right there. So the AdSense thing is certainly a way to start, but just realize that's go- that money is it's going to be low. It's low for everyone when they first start. And th- there's a lot of other great programs out there that'll do it automatically without you having to talk to people. I'm also an Amazon associate. So if I review or mention a product, I'll have a link in the description to an Amazon ordering page that people can buy that product. And if they do order something, then I get a cut of that. And that's actually been a, a really great way to modernize, especially around the holidays. I, I would say that it is it was on par and even exceeded, in some cases, the money I was making through AdSense. So that's, I definitely recommend that to anyone who hasn't looked into that. And then the third way, and this is I've only done this a couple times, and that is through some kind of ad deal with a company or product placement kind of thing. And the thing I'm leery about those, like the thing with those, like I, I'm a believer in kind of transparency and being really clear to your audience that this is a sponsored kind of deal you're doing. But the good thing about those is you cut out the middleman. You don't have to give a cut to Google or Amazon or YouTube or whoever's uh, taking part of the money. So those are the three branches that that I've pursued and, and that have worked well for me. Yeah, cool. Now, I, there's obviously, I think YouTube, I believe, have a, a couple of different ways you can include ads in your video. From what I've seen, you include the video at the start, which is generally like a, like a traditional TV video. And right. then you have the overlaid ads, uh, which is the text in the lower third of your video. Do, do you get stats on what converts best for you in terms of... You do. You, in the uh, YouTube analytics tells you what's working best for you, both in terms of what people are clicking and in terms of what you're making the most money on. And there's actually three types of ads that, that you can put onto YouTube. There is the pre-roll ad, which is usually like a five to 10 second thing that just shows up no matter what and looks like a TV commercial. There's what's called the true view ad, which is the longer one that you can choose to skip or not or watch it. And then there's the kind of just text-based ad at the bottom, which is usually partnered with some kind of banner or image over to the side. Um, of those, true view uh, ads are absolutely the best, the, the ones that are skippable. And this is, this is an opinion. This is definitely from my analytics. And I think true for probably every YouTuber out there is that the amount of money, you, most people choose to skip that ad. Most people don't want to watch an advertisement. But advertisers will pay a lot more for the people who do sit through and watch that ad. And you'd be surprised how many people actually watch those ads. I'm usually averaging about 50,000 impressions a month on people watching a TrueView ad. So somewhere out there, 50,000 people have watched that full ad and not chosen to skip it. And the amount of money per thousand of you for that is significantly higher. Like usually the CPM on that is somewhere 15 to $20 or something like that. So if you're making YouTube content, definitely TrueView ads are the way to go. Yeah, cool. And just one final thing on that is for those TrueView ads, is there a certain percentage where you kick in and you get paid or do they have to watch the entire ad? They have to watch the entire thing. So if they, even if they... They leave the one second off at the end. You don't get the money. Yeah, so you, you're running a risk with that. But I think it, but it works. And I was certainly skeptical. 
I remember I went to a, a YouTube gathering at the YouTube offices here in Santa Monica in California when they were first launching this. And they said, we like, they, I think they were worried that no one was going to enable them because they thought, oh, everyone's going to skip these ads. It's not going to work. But for whatever reason, it works. And I think it's Google is really smart about targeting ads. Like they're targeting ads toward people that are likely to watch them. And it, yeah, it, it totally works. Yeah, no, definitely. I don't know. I generally skip them, but I'm going to have to start watching the whole things for all of your videos. <laughs> I skipped them too. I probably shouldn't say that, but most of the time I skip them. Every once in a while, though, the targeting works and I'm like, oh, I want to watch this one. And so, <laughs> yeah, that's great. All right. One other thing, while we're on the topic of, of the behind the scenes and advertising, one other thing I've mm-hmm. noticed that you've done once or twice is almost like a, like a hangout or something like that, is it? Or like a, a live stream. Mm hmm. What's the reasoning behind that? Is that literally just to answer questions of your audience or are you trying to build a build a community around that? Or I would say engagement is the key word there. And I think this is important when you're looking at building an audience and, and turning that single view into a viewer and someone who's going to come back. Engagement's important. Even in, and it's worth spending the time on even when it's, I guess, you're not getting paid for your time. So for the live streams, I'll do a two to three hour live stream. And there's I don't modernize that in any way. That's just me doing it. And I would say it's the equivalent of being on Twitter or replying to comments on YouTube, which is something else that's important that I think people do. It, it puts a face and a personality behind the person making the videos. And it makes people interested in, in watching them and uh, engaging in your content. So yeah, so and then it's I think it's fun to interact with the audience. Like I personally have a lot of fun doing it. So I think it's a two way street and, and I definitely get a lot out of it. So yeah, that's fantastic. And do you have a, a property which you own outright that you try and push your audience to or do you literally play on YouTube's platform and others platforms? I, I'm I'm on YouTube's platform. Certainly there's a lot of people out there that they use YouTube as just an almost another engagement tool, like it was a Twitter or something like that, and to drive people to blogs and things like that. Um, I don't have anything like that. Uh, I have a landing page, a website that just links to my other stuff. So I'm not trying to drive people anywhere. And for me, I have debated that in the past, especially when I was thinking about taking my YouTube channel more toward the traditional tech review route, having some kind of website or blog that matches that to drive people to. And for me, it's, it's the time commitment on that is is not worth it. I I've, I look at YouTube as doing all the legwork for me. They're doing the logistics, right? They're they're doing all the advertisement for me and and, and handling all the back end and page maintenance. So I don't have to deal with that. So for me, the the video content is my prime focus. Yeah, definitely. That makes sense. And as you say, the, the minute you start producing content on your own side, it does it adds adds quite a lot of maintenance to that and cost mm-hmm. as well. So that's it's interesting. But uh, as you say, I think I play a little bit in the internet marketing space. And wh- one of the big things with a lot of internet marketers is to get people off channels that you don't own. And mm-hmm. the reasoning behind that is you can be shut down at any stage. But I'm assuming with something like Matt's Macintosh is that you're not at all playing in a dodgy space. You're playing by YouTube's rules. And But, but there, there's certainly risk in that. And that's something that I've talked about you know, in kind of private conversations with fellow YouTubers and at these different YouTube gatherings. And this is something that, that'll come out when if you ever go to uh, the uh, kind of a gathering with a YouTube corporate office that when people are being having extra candor, it, it's run, it's certainly running a risk, right? Like YouTube could at any day, Google could just decide, oh, you know what, this isn't making enough money for us. We're shutting the whole thing down. And, and then that would collapse the majority of my revenue stream there. 
So that's absolutely that's a risk, but and not even and chances of the cataclysmic kind of collapse isn't likely. But even minor changes. A lot of people were up in arms uh, when they changed the search algorithm for related videos, when they made it based on total watch time and not clicks, which is what it used to be based on. So that kind of, you had to, it forced creators to rethink how they make their videos. And yeah, so you're playing by someone else's rules in someone else's court. And that's just something that you have to accept if that's the route you're going to go. Yeah, no, definitely. All right, so let's change change gear a little bit here. Let's go, we'll fit around off the interview with, with looking at how you put together your particular videos. Mm-hmm. Now, do you follow a certain standard operating procedure or something along those lines when you're putting together videos? Yes. So uh, assuming I have the idea solidified, when it actually comes to the production aspect of the video, I shoot video first with no real kind of script or anything and it depends on what it is. If I'm doing a tutorial video, obviously, it'd be a little bit different. But let's say a standard kind of product video or one of my kind of history kind of documentary style videos, I'll shoot. And I'll probably shoot for a standard two to three minute video. I'm probably shooting about an hour's worth of footage. So I'm getting different angles, getting coverage of the product or whatever it is that the subject of the video is. And then I bring that into the edit and then look at what I have. And then I have a, a rough kind of outline in my mind of either what I want to say or if it's just a video with just music to it, how I want it to flow. Uh, And then I'll start doing an assembly edit, uh, then do the voiceover work and then tighten up that edit to match the voiceover and then do the export and upload. Okay, that's interesting. And particularly with with anyone doing reviews and that. Myself, when I've tried to do reviews, I I, I do the voiceover at the time of recording. Mm -hmm. And it Mm -hmm. can mean that the videos are not as engaging. So that's that's interesting that you're just shooting footage and then putting it together at the end. And I think it's a better system. I certainly know uh, a lot of guys who do that, who record, they essentially do the review live. They they record with the camera and then are talking. And I'm... (laughs) Maybe I'm just not eloquent enough to do that, but I flub the what I wanted to say a lot, and then I go ramble on tangents if I try to do that. And then it just goes back to our earlier conversations, making that tight video that people are going to watch from beginning to end. I think it's better to just shoot the video first and then do that edited voiceover to make it as just as tight and concise as possible. Yeah. All right. Then on that, and this is probably relating personally to me, so it's a selfish question. <laughs> I don't do a lot of the, the video edits. In fact, I, I don't do any of the video editing myself. Mm-hmm. Do you still think it would be possible to follow that sort of concept of, of shooting a whole heap of footage and then at some stage doing the voiceover? Absolutely. Absolutely. Even if you're not doing your editing. And you probably need to bring the voiceover in a little earlier than you normally would if you were gonna if you were doing the complete end-to-end product. But if you if you look at when they're producing documentaries for TV, it's not like the editor or the voiceover guy is working hand in hand to make everything. They're, they're bringing everything together in post separately. And I, I think that's a, a good way of doing it. So if I was if I had a separate editor, um, for example, I think I would tell my editor, I'd give him kind of an outline of what I was going to do, have him build a loose assembly edit, then come in with my voiceover, then have my editor tighten it up and, and turn into a finished product. Okay, cool, cool. All right, so you're shooting all this footage. Let's look at one particular video. Let's look at the the why you chose the iPad Mini. Okay. Are you shooting with essentially the one camera from the different angles? Or are you assembling mult, multiple cameras at once? I, I'm shooting single camera. You could, if you really wanted to, you could do multi-angle kind of stuff. But I, I don't. Uh, for me, it's I am I'm very conscious of my shot selection and camera setup. So I'm trying to pick. 
engaging angles. I think video is a visual medium. And I think that's lost on some people, especially in kind of the more practical videos. They're like the tech review space and things like that, is that you can be given the best audio information about the product, but if the pictures aren't engaging as well, you're, you're going to lose viewers. So I shoot single camera. I very put a lot of thought into the camera angle and, and what I'm depicting, and then choose a variety of angles based around what the, what the topic's going to be. Yeah, cool. And do you, a lot of our audience are budding content marketers or multimedia mm-hmm. marketers, so they're not necessarily, they don't necessarily have a video background. Do you have a resource you can recommend where people can learn a little bit more about putting together exciting camera angles and framing pictures in it? I, I, w- I got two sources. One, YouTube. It's funny is that I learned a lot of stuff from YouTube myself. I am both a, a YouTube creator and a consumer of YouTube videos. So all the time, I like wonder how something is done and I Google it and search it on YouTube and, and watch a video about it. The second thing I'd say is that lo- look at content that you like. Uh, I, I think one of the, the best things you can do as a creator is learn to identify what you like in other people's products uh, so that basically you can steal it. (laughs) Um, That's what people have done since the beginning of time, right? Someone comes up with a great concept or a way to shoot something or make something, and then everyone else jumps on that. So I think if you personally learn to identify, you watch a video and you say, hey, that was good, but why was it good? And go through and, and pick out those specific things and then emulate it and then try to make it better. And that's what I've tried to do is try to steal things and then improve upon them or put my own spin on them to make them unique. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I love that. It, it's, it's so simple, but it's, it's hiding in broad daylight. Okay, final question. And this is something that I've certainly I've included in my videos and it's direct from yours is creating engaging thumbnails. Yes. I love the way you use simple text to create great thumbnails. How much of a difference does that make? Huge. Huge. I probably can't stress this enough. And I hate to, to say it like this because I know that if uh, not all YouTube creators have the ability to make custom thumbnails on YouTube because that was, that was part of the old partner system and stuff like that. So if you can't do that, it, it's a shame. Supposedly, YouTube is rolling that feature out to everyone. But thumbnails are uh, so key. And this is something that I've actually experimented with. So this isn't just like a, an opinion. This is something I've, I've tested and, and looked at the analytics on is clear text with an interesting image behind it is key. And it's key for it to look good, not when it's blown up and you're looking at it in Photoshop, but when is that tiny, whatever it is, 50 by 50 pixels or whatever, whatever it's going to be like, look like on the actual page before people click on it, I think is really key. I try to choose fonts that stand out, colors that so that you can read it. And then the actual titling of it too, just the words themselves, like something that's clickable and that'll drive people in. Yeah, that's really cool. And I, I think one thing I need to probably introduce myself is that it looks like you're not actually using uh, stills from the actual footage. It looks like you're actually shooting separate stills just for the thumbnail. And most of the time, no. There, it's a still from the footage that I have then gone back and in Photoshop, touched up and added text to. So I'm not completely cheating. I'm not like pulling a, a still image, but I am. I'm modifying a frame from the video. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, That's good. That's handy because it's it's obviously an extra step they have to add in. But Yeah, but uh, it's certainly worth your time. Absolutely. Mm, Cool. And just one thing on that, I'll just add for our listeners, I've recently gone through the process of setting up a a new channel and Mm. YouTube enabled custom thumbnails for me after a 
only about a hundred or two hundred views and two or three videos up there. Okay. Um, I think one thing they say is you do have to join the partner program, which is still an opt-in, mm-hmm. and you need to enable at least one of your videos for monetization. And so that's the that's just my tips. It happened after about a hundred views, two videos up there, and it was just simply going through your settings, enabling enabling monetization on at least one of your videos, and yeah, it, it'll just pop up after a little while. So oh, well, that's great because it's certainly a, a great tool. So that that's good. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Matt, you've um, shared some really awesome information. I'm um, really pleased that I was able to get on the call with you today. Where can our listeners find out a little bit more about you? Sure. Obviously, you can go uh, to my main YouTube channel, so youtube.com slash Matt's Macintosh. And from there, I'm on Twitter. Matt's Macintosh is my handle on Twitter as well. Or just my my main page is .net. And from that, you can contact me if, if anyone out there wants to work with me on something or just see some of my work I've done in the past. So. That's great. Listeners, thanks very much for tuning in. And Matt, thank you very much for coming on. No problem. Really enjoyed it.